0: Well, hello welcome back to another episode of prologues i'm your host mary welcome back you guys we're doing another hey mary episode today which is a QA advice segment where you guys send in life questions or anything you would like to get my take on or get my perspective on and then i answer it by the time you guys are hearing this i'm going to be in dallas And it'll actually be the day before I'm set to come home. And it's my last trip to Dallas, you guys. I'm so excited. I love Matthew so much. I support his career 100%, but I am really excited to have him home and for us to not be long distance anymore. I've missed him so much. And this is my last trip to Dallas for the season. I'm going to be there for 10 days. And when you guys are hearing this, I will have been there for like eight or nine days already. I'm going for the last two home games. So I'm going to be there for two weekends and then the week in between. And also Matt's birthday is coming up and I'll be down there for his birthday, which is exciting. But unfortunately, his birthday is the day before the last home game. So we're not really going to do a whole lot for it. Um, We might just go to dinner. There's this place in Fort Worth that he wants to go to. But other than that, it'll probably be very low-key. And I don't know if we're going to do any fun things in the DFW area while I'm there. I've gone before and we've made a big effort to, you know, go to the Dallas Farmers Market, go to Bishop Arts, um, go to the stockyards in Fort Worth, things like that. But other times I've gone and he's just been so busy and I've been so busy that we don't do anything like I just um, stay at the apartment or at the Airbnb and do my work all day. And then he comes home, we make dinner and we go to bed like as if things were normal and we were actually properly living together. This time, I hope, will be a combination of both just because it is my last visit to Dallas for the year um, until next year. And so there are a couple more things that I'd like to check off the tourist list before uh, we don't go back for the next six months. But also when you miss someone, like you miss your partner so much, you just wanna chill. Like I just wanna sit on the couch with him and maybe he's reading a book and I'm doing something else and we don't even have to be talking. I just wanna relax and chill in his presence. So I'm hoping for a good mix of both this visit. So something that I'm working on this week is I've been spending way too much time on my phone way too much time on my phone and I think mentally as you guys know I have recently been coming out of a long depressive episode and it wasn't the worst depressive episode of my life you know I've gone through plenty of episodes where I haven't been able to get out of bed for a month or months on end and this one wasn't that bad but it wasn't great (laughs) it wasn't great And I've been doing a lot of self-care and I've been prioritizing my recovery because recovering from an episode is the same as recovering from a physical illness. You have to be gentle with yourself and treat it like recovery. But I just... Maybe it's that, maybe it's the fact that I've been so conscious lately that Matt is almost home, like this is the last little bit that I have to live alone, and I, it's not that I even mind living alone. I mean, I did that whole episode on living alone and being your own best friend and not being lonely, and it's not loneliness, but I think it's just the anticipation of knowing he's going to be home soon. I'm feeling a little antsy, a little squirrely, and I feel like when I get to that point, my phone distracts me more than a book or a show or an audiobook or podcast, you know, whatever does because it's designed to be addicting. I mean, it makes total sense. It's totally designed to suck you in and to keep your attention captive, which normally I hate, but this week, because I think I've been so antsy, I've just been on my phone so much. And it is keeping me distracted, but I don't like that. I need to handle my emotions and feelings without using this incredibly addictive device. So I've been on my phone way too much. At least I'm cognizant of it, at least I'm aware, but I need to Put my phone down more. Today actually went pretty well. I did not scroll or spend a lot of time on my phone until I was fully up, out of bed, did my morning routine and everything. And that always makes me feel like a thousand times better. And I also did put my phone away really early last night. So that was really good too. Something I'm proud of is that I've been so productive this week, which is amazing because I was not productive during that entire like seven, eight week depressive episode. I was getting things done, you know, in the nick of time, last minute. I wasn't able to work ahead and getting even the most minute tasks done felt like running a marathon. It was it was tough. It was tough. I was slogging through, let me tell you. But this week I've been so productive. I've been pre-recording episodes, I've been pre-filming. I've been working ahead in all aspects of all the work I do. Just to make sure that while I'm in Dallas, I will be working while I'm there, but I don't want to fall behind and I don't want my content to suffer. And so this whole week I've just been grinding, 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 and I'm so proud of myself because I lost a little bit of confidence in myself and in my work ability or my work ethic when I was depressed because I was getting so upset at myself for not getting more things done and I feel like I lost a little trust in my ability to accomplish tasks. And this week has just reminded me that I'm still good. I'm still good. I'm still doing the damn thing. You know, mental health took a little knock there, but I'm back, baby, and it feels amazing. I'm gonna do content faves at the end again. So let's just go ahead and get into Hey Mary. So before we get into the questions, I just want to state for the record, I know you guys already know this, but I'm going to state for the record. All I can offer you is my perspective and what I would do in your situation. I don't know you and I don't know your life. At the end of the day, you have to decide for yourself what is right for you. And because you know the full details of the situations you're emailing in about, you you know what to do. I can give you my perspective. I can give you my opinion, but it's just... opinions and if I am giving advice that you're like "Mm, that really isn't going to work for my situation that's fine you know your life best and you do you these are just my opinions we have a lot of questions about relationships this time I don't know if I should do the whole episode on relationships or if I should mix it up we'll figure that out as we go along but the first one is about jealousy so hey Mary I love your content so thanks for all the effort you put in thank you so much To keep a short story short, my fiancé is a good-looking man and is very charismatic. He is truly a great guy, and it shows when anyone first meets him. This being said, oftentimes women will be attracted to him. More often than you think, they will openly flirt with him in front of me, even after knowing we're together. He is super respectful, never plays into the attention, and I don't doubt his loyalty to me, but I still can't help but feel jealous. I never used to be jealous in past relationships, but I guess that's not the case anymore." Can you relate at all, especially with the long distance, with your husband? Any advice slash guidance on how to tame these feelings is much appreciated. So I totally relate. I definitely have gone through this before where I also think that my husband is an incredibly good looking man and he also is very charismatic and warm and women flirt with him in front of me all the time, literally all the time. And my husband, like your fiance, he is respectful. He doesn't play into it. You know, he doesn't give me a reason to doubt his commitment or his loyalty or anything, but it doesn't feel good. Or at first, like, your first thought is that it doesn't feel good to watch someone really brazenly and openly hit on the person that you're with, especially if they know that you're together. I can understand not knowing that we were together and then going to hit on him, like, listen, fair play. A girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. And if you don't know any better and you think the guy is single... You know I understand I understand the urge okay but when women do it after knowing we're together that makes me feel so bad I don't like it at all so I completely understand where you're coming from and I don't necessarily think you should feel bad for feeling jealousy I think jealousy is only a bad thing if you're acting on it and you're choosing to take your jealousy out on your partner who doesn't deserve it or who isn't doing anything to make you jealous. But I think the actual emotion of jealousy, kind of like anger, is not inherently bad because what does it mean? Like if you're jealous, that means that you have deep feelings for someone and you value your commitment to that person and you don't want anything to threaten your relationship. That by itself is not necessarily a bad feeling. Where jealousy gets toxic is when you take it out on your partner or when you accuse them of doing things that they're not doing or starting a fight because instead of processing your jealousy and recognizing that your underlying feeling is like wanting comfort or reassurance from that person, maybe you're starting a fight instead. Everyone's been there. I totally get it. You say that you never used to be jealous in past relationships, but you guess that's the case now. I think that makes sense. I mean, this guy's your fiance. So, you know, it would stand to reason that you have deeper feelings for this guy than you've had for other partners in the past because you're moving forward and you're taking that next step. So I don't even think it's a crazy thing that you're jealous for the first time over the person that you are taking that next step with. But when it comes to managing the feelings and taming the feelings, you're gonna have to be so brutally honest with yourself and you're gonna have to try to be as objective as possible. You have to tell yourself that when girls are flirting with him in front of you, it's kind of a credit to you. I mean, how cool is it that you have this incredibly hot, incredibly good looking, funny, warm, like charming guy, and you get to call him your fiance, he's made a commitment to you, he's chosen you, he asked you to marry him, he picked you, okay? And he's clearly so desirable that other women want him. They see these good qualities in him and they want him, but he picked you, not them. That's kind of a flex, okay? It's kind of a flex that this desirable person that all these women want to hit on He doesn't care anything about them. He only cares about you. He chose you. You pulled that person, brought something to the table that he'd never seen before, and you had a connection and a spark with him that these other women don't have, but you have it. So I think, like, reframe the narrative going on in your head when you see this happening, okay? The other thing you say is, like, women who are openly flirting with him in front of you, even after knowing that you're together... I do think it's on your fiancé in that moment to establish the boundary. And you say he's respectful and he never plays into the attention, but maybe something you could say and phrase it really respectfully, make sure he knows that this is not you being accusatory, you know, you're not upset, you're not trying to start anything, just establish that I'm here, your priority is on me, your focus is on me, and just let it be known outwardly that we're together. And he might already be doing that. But if he's not, that would be the one thing that I would ask for in that situation. But I think you're good, girl. Like, the way that you're describing your fiancé sounds great. He sounds amazing. And congratulations. Honestly, that's all I have to say is congratulations on such a catch. You caught him. I love that for you. Okay, let's do another relationship one. This is switching tacks completely. Hey, Mary, I absolutely love this podcast. I grew up with four brothers and consider you an internet big sister. Thank you so much. I grew up with three older brothers, and if it wasn't for my sisters, I don't know how I would have made it this far. So thank you for allowing me to sort of fill that role a little bit. I moved to Minnesota for my boyfriend. We have been together for five years, and we have lived together for one and a half years. I love him, and he does make me happy. However, I am not happy. I hate living in Minnesota, I don't like my job at all, and I never made a plan for my life because I never planned on being here or making it to 24 years old. My boyfriend is 35 and moved to Minnesota to live next to his best friend, and he does not want to live anywhere else. He just wants to be next to his best friend. I want more. I feel stuck because I can't afford to move and I know I can go anywhere, but how do I choose where to go? I don't want to stay in the same cycle of moving or changing jobs because I think it will make me happy or be better, and then it doesn't. I'm the most depressed I've ever been. I almost never leave the house outside of going to work. I barely have friends and barely have hobbies. My boyfriend knows I don't like it here, but I think he just brushes it off as my depression. I am in therapy and on meds, which help, but at the end of the day, I can barely keep going. I know I need to leave, but it doesn't feel like the right time. Any advice? this is tough. This is a big one. I want to start by acknowledging the way you said you never planned on being here or making it to 24. I 1000% understand what you mean and I relate to that. When I was a teenager, I didn't think I would make it to 18. I did not think I would make it to 21 when I was in college. And after I graduated, I don't know what I was thinking. Twenty five, twenty four seemed incomprehensible. It seemed like, yeah, it seemed like there was no way I was going to get there. So I also have some friends who struggle with mental health who also relate. And sometimes we talk about it, like when you are severely depressed, maybe suicidal, especially as a teenager, sometimes you don't have the capacity to think really long term or plan out where you'd like your life to go or really figure out who you are and what your non-negotiables are because you don't think you're going to get there. You really don't think you're going to make it. And then I'm so proud of you that you've made it this far already. I'm proud of myself, proud of my friends, but it's really common to get into adulthood and have this holy shit moment. I have to make a plan for my life. Like, I'm in it. I'm in my 20s. I'm doing the thing and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I relate to that so hard. You are not alone. That's actually a really common experience. And I just want you to know that you're not crazy for feeling that way. And you're also not a failure for for getting to that point, for not thinking ahead or not making a plan. Because when you have mental health struggles sometimes the only thing you can do is put one foot in front of the other and you do not have the like you don't have the ability to think long term or think about how your life in the present is going to affect your life in the future it, it just doesn't happen it's impossible so i want to acknowledge that and just say i understand you're not alone now at the end you say i know i need to leave but it doesn't feel like the right time I don't know if you mean leave Minnesota or leave the boyfriend, and again, all I can tell you is what I hope I would do in your situation or what I would counsel a friend, but if one of my close friends came to me and explained this situation, I don't know if I would advise them to stay in this relationship or at least stay in the present configuration of the relationship, like stay living together. I don't, ah, it's tough. I don't want to tell you to just break up with him because I don't, I don't know your situation fully. And I really, you know, that's a humongous step and it's a life altering decision. And I don't want to sit here and be like, oh my God, girl, dump him. But I would seriously think about the future of this relationship. There are a couple of red flags that are standing out in your email. And again, I really can't say this enough. All I know is the details I get in these emails and it's not the full story, but there are a couple of red flags that I'm seeing in the email. One, he moved to Minnesota to be next to his best friend and he doesn't wanna live anywhere else. He just wants to be next to his best friend. I completely understand that when you're young or you're looking for community. My only concern, I mean, it's great that he has a really close best friend. But if you've been together for five years and you saw enough promise and longevity in the relationship to decide to move in together, I feel like he should be prioritizing your needs and the health of your relationship over proximity to his best friend. And that's really tough because you have to have both. You can't put all of your eggs in one relationship basket. It's not fair to rely on your partner for 100% of your social needs, your romantic needs, you know, people need friends. Romantic relationships, when they're healthy, are so beautiful and they can be so fulfilling, but you do need other people in your life to form connections with because you can't go to one person or place the burden on your partner of being everything, you know, of playing the role of, you know, playing every role in your life. So I can't fault him for having a close connection with this best friend and for wanting to be around him and wanting to spend time with him, but I do really feel, considering how long you've been together and how long you've lived together at this point, your needs are important. Your relationship is important if it's going to continue. Like, this is not someone who at the moment is acting like a forever partner because they're not prioritizing the long-term health of your relationship. So I would say that's a red flag. Not that he has a best friend he wants to be close to, but that it seems from your email like that's the only relationship he's really prioritizing right now. And there needs to be both. You need to know that you matter and your relationship matters to him in order for it to be healthy. It's just natural. Like people do need validation and reassurance and they need to, to they need to know that what they have is important. The other red flag I see here is you say, my boyfriend knows I don't like it here, but I think he just brushes it off as my depression. I'm in therapy and on meds, which help, but at the end of the day, I can barely keep going. So I don't like that either because it's invalidating your feelings and it's almost saying they're not legitimate. Sometimes it's really hard when you have a mental health struggle, like say you're severely depressed, because that mental health, it does influence the way you feel on a day-to-day. It influences your experience in the world, but it's totally possible to have separate negative feelings that are completely valid that don't have anything to do with a depression. Like two things can be true at once. You can be depressed and you can, you know, be in therapy and be on meds and be struggling mentally in that capacity. And you can also Totally outside of that, know that you're in a situation that's making you unhappy. Two things can be true at once. And if he's not listening to you, if he doesn't trust that you know your own mind best, you know your feelings best, and he's just brushing it off as like, well, you're unhappy because you're depressed, so of course you're going to be unhappy, that's not okay. That is not okay. That is not boyfriend, husband, partner material, in my opinion you want someone who trusts you, who trusts that you're being reflective and introspective and that you know yourself, right? And you want someone, I mean, even let's say it is just your depression. I don't like the phrase, like he brushes it off as my depression. Depression is a big thing. It's a health condition. So when you're entering into a relationship or you're in one, you need a partner who's understanding and supportive because your health is, in like it affects the way that you are in your relationship and you at least need someone who understands and who is able to give you grace and extend compassion to you for that from this email it doesn't seem like he's doing that and that makes me really sad for you because you don't deserve that you deserve someone who sees your depression as, it sees it for what it is, a health condition, and doesn't see it as a problem with you or a flaw with you, it doesn't see it as like, oh, she's always unhappy or oh, she's always complaining, like, who sees the depression for what it is. I'm not getting that vibe here. I'm not getting that vibe here. I'm not going to sit here and tell you to break up with him. That's not my place. And it's, you know, it's not my business. But I, if I were you, I would seriously evaluate how much this relationship is serving you how healthy it is for you, and if it's causing you more stress and more unhappiness, then it's worth it, which is very scary because you've been together for five years. You're comfortable. Your relationship is familiar to you. It feels, you know, it's a huge part of your life, but you don't have to stay in something that's making you unhappy even if you have been in it for a long time. There's this thing called the sunk cost fallacy which basically says sometimes people stay in situations that they know are bad because of how much time they've already invested into it. Or they stay in business ventures that are failing because they've already put so much money into it. When the truth is, it would be better for you long term to cut your losses and start over. But people sometimes have a hard time doing that because they then see all the time or the money or the effort that they've put into something as a waste. But that's not true. It's not a waste. You did not waste your time with this person. You did not fritter away the last five years if you decide, if you decide that this is not serving you anymore. And on the off chance that you're saying, you're not saying you know it's you know you need to leave the boyfriend, you're saying you know you want to leave Minnesota, I get what you mean like you take your problems with you wherever you go. Moving to new places, it can be a great start. I mean a fresh start. If you, for example, hate the weather somewhere and you can't do any of your favorite outdoor activities and you can't do any of your hobbies because the weather doesn't allow it, moving to somewhere with weather more suited to your interests could totally improve your happiness. You know, It could totally be the fresh start that you need. But if, you're, if you feel really dissatisfied somewhere and you can't pinpoint the reason, you're going to take that feeling with you wherever you go. Sometimes your problem isn't your location, isn't your area, but it's the way you're living your life, which is really hard, really, really, really hard. So I would also just contemplate that question, really reflect on that and see if you can figure out what is it that's making me so unhappy? Is it Minnesota or is it the fact that I feel alone and like my needs aren't being supported? And that will tell you what you need to do. Being in therapy and being on meds is fantastic. That's definitely sounds like the right choice for you, and it's hard to keep up with that sometimes because when you are really depressed, sometimes the first thing that goes is the self-care. So props to you for keeping up with the things that you know are, are what you need for your mental health. Really, I'm really proud of you for that. And I just want to wish you luck because you have a lot of thinking to do. You've got a lot of thinking to do, and you potentially have some decisions to make, and I just want to send you love and encouragement. Let me know what happens. I'm just sending you love and encouragement and good luck. Good luck with everything. Okay, I'm going to do one more, also a relationship theme and also with overtones of mental health because that's just the vibe today. I do want to make sure you guys know I don't want mental health to be the only thing that we talk about on Prologues. And that's why I think I said this in another episode, but I've really been trying to, while I'm starting out, keep the episode topics pretty diverse and just keep the doors open to talk about anything and everything but obviously mental health is a humongous part of my life and that's always going to be in the background of what we're talking about. I just want to make sure you guys know that I want to keep the avenues open but this one is another mental health themed question and that's fine that's the vibe today and I'm loving it. This is a very long email so I am going to condense it into the main question at the end. Um, I do want to thank you. And I've also gotten a few emails with this general question, so I'm not gonna read anything out. This one also has a lot of really, really personal information. And obviously everything is anonymous that you send in. I'm not gonna ever reveal like your names or any, you know, identifying information or anything, but I'm just gonna pull the main question out of all of these submissions. And basically it's asking, how do you know when to tell someone that you're dating, that you have a mental health situation, and also to tell my story of how I told my partner. I, th- I don't remember if I told this story in episode two. I may have. That's the diagnosis story episode. But I will tell you guys again because it's scary, and, like, people are also asking for tips on how to tell a new person that you're dating that you have a mental health condition, etc. So I've had to do this many, many times in my life. I've done it with new friends, with partners... I've gotten really good reactions. I've gotten really awful reactions. People bring different experiences to the table. They bring different preconceived notions and different history to the table when it comes to mental health and it's tough to know how the person you're telling is going to react. So it can be scary and that's normal and you're valid and I understand it can be really scary. I think out of that apprehension and out of that fear. Sometimes people tell themselves that they don't need to disclose that. And your mental health information is completely private until you choose and you consent to sharing that with someone. So you should never feel pressured to do it before you're comfortable or to do it prematurely. My personal individual perspective and opinion is that it is something important to tell a partner if you see a long-term future with them, because it is going to come up. Your mental health is, at some point or another, likely going to affect the way that you are, the way that you act or behave. It's going to come up. It's not something you should feel like you need to hide from a partner, especially... I'm mostly speaking about long-term partners here. If you're in a little situationship, or you're just hooking up with someone, or... You know that this is just like a fun fling, you know, something really casual. I don't necessarily think you have to bring that up. But if you really see a future with someone and you, you know, you really feel like this person is going to be in your life for a while and they're really important and this relationship is going to become really important to you, my personal opinion is that it is something that should be talked about and should be disclosed. When it comes to the right time to do so... It's really personal and it's honestly, it's up to you. So I've done it many times. The fastest I've done it, I would say would be whenever I've had a new roommate and when I was with Matthew or when I started dating Matthew. I remember telling my freshman year roommate when I moved into college, I think the first or second day because I had been going through a tough time and I knew that it was affecting my behavior and I didn't want my roommate to think that I hated them or that I was totally disinterested in them or not not interested in becoming friends. I was just going through a hard time. So I did tell that roommate like first or second day that I was really struggling with depression. I did not have a, a diagnosis at that point. I had, you know, I'd been told, oh, you struggle with depression. Um, one of my first therapists that I had before this point, I was 18 during my freshman year, I had had a therapist be like, you have anger problems, um, you have severe depression. At the time, I didn't know that I also had an anxiety problem and then I had not developed OCD yet and it would still be like three years before I got my bipolar diagnosis. So all I really told them was that I struggled with depression and they did take it really well. They asked very politely if there was anything they needed to look out for, if there were any crisis signs that they should be aware of, which was actually so nice. Like, looking back, that was very considerate and very kind to just ask, hey, will there, what what should I look out for if, if your mental health comes to a point where there needs to be outside intervention? Because in my life, there have been a few times where outside intervention has been necessary so that was a good experience and that was like first or second day knowing that person with Matthew it was about two weeks into our formal dating life I had known him previously and then we had been friends for several months leading up to him you know revealing he had feelings and us going on a date and everything And I wasn't sure if he knew. I had just gotten the bipolar diagnosis and it was not something that I was hiding, but I also wasn't shouting it from the rooftops. Throughout things that I just, you know, posted on social media during college and everything, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month, um, being involved on campus with a couple different campus events and things, I think probably most of the people who knew me when I was younger Maybe they didn't know exactly what was going on, but they knew that I was someone who dealt with mental health issues and was vocal about it. So I wasn't really sure if he knew that or if he didn't know that. It was not something I told him while we were just friends. We started dating the night of our first date, and so I waited about two weeks just for the initial butterflies to settle a tiny little bit, and while I decided how I was going to approach this. I knew I really wanted to tell him because I had just been diagnosed, and I was kind of going through my first medication trials, and it was huge in my life. Trialing new medication is not a fun time. I need to do an entire episode on my medication journey. It's not fun, and it was affecting me. Anyway, said all that to say, I knew I needed to formally tell him, especially because... It was very evident to both of us from the start of our relationship that this was going to be a big one, a very big one. So I waited two weeks just for the initial excitement um, and the butterflies to settle down and so I could approach the conversation with a cool head. And I'll never forget how this happened for me. I was driving him home from something, I don't remember what. And I looked over at him and I was like, I need to tell you something. And I just straight up said it. I It was just like, I'm bipolar. I got diagnosed a few months ago. It's a really big thing in my life. I just, you know, I, I needed you to know. I will never forget his response to me. I was expecting a surprised and apprehensive reaction. Bipolar is a scary sounding word. And I am not here to compare symptoms or to compare experiences. I am not here to say that bipolar is worse than other mental health conditions. But my experience has been telling people I have depression or anxiety has been a little bit more familiar. People are a little bit more aware of what that means and a little more familiar with that terminology. Again, I am not saying that having dep- like depression or anxiety is easier or is better or it's not as serious. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in my experience, because I had years before I had the bipolar diagnosis and I had to tell people then and then... I got the bipolar diagnosis. People react differently to the word bipolar. Fewer people know what that means. There isn't, in my experience, there is not as much awareness surrounding that term. And I didn't know what his stance on mental health really was. I had observed him a couple of times. I had some green flags. Um, One of his good friends that was in the social circle, really struggled with depression and I had seen Matthew be very compassionate towards him. And to me, that was a really green flag. But I I didn't really know and I was scared. But the way that he reacted was one of those first moments where I knew, okay, I could really be with this guy really long term. He turned to me as we are pulling out of the parking lot on Sunken Road because I'm taking him to his house. He turns to me and he was like, oh, okay, cool. I have a really good friend back home. I lived with him for a while who's bipolar. Like, great guy. Really loved living with him. Like, awesome guy. Good friend. And that was it. I was shocked. I was like, oh, really? Like, I didn't even know what to say. I was just like, oh my god, that's crazy. That How crazy is that? That you, living halfway across the world, have already had a really intimate relationship with someone who's bipolar? What? I was so excited. I was like, wait a second, maybe, maybe this is going to be a thing. Maybe we're going to be good. And that's really all he said. And I didn't really say much more. I felt relieved. I was like, oh. And then we pulled up to his house and I dropped him off and that was kind of it. A month or two, I think maybe two months into our relationship, I did tell him about some of my more severe depressive episodes and I did share my suicide attempts with him, that was a much longer conversation and it was much more emotional on both sides. And I'll tell that story at some other time. That was harder for me to, it was harder for me to get through the story. And I think it was also a little harder for us to talk about as a couple, but telling him I was bipolar went really well. Now, I'm very aware of the fact that it does not go well in every situation. I have had bad experiences. I don't want to shame the people who gave me the bad experiences because, again, I don't know what they were bringing to the table. I don't know if one of them maybe had a family member or a previous partner with a mental health condition who, I don't know, things didn't go well. You know, I don't know what they're, how they were receiving it. My advice... If you are someone who knows you have a mental health condition, you're starting out with someone and you're afraid to tell them, here's my advice. I do think I covered this in episode two as well, so you can go back and give that a listen. But I would say you should be prepared. You should have at least a baseline knowledge of how your condition physically operates in your body. I would try to research a little bit about that. I would I would approach the conversation with some knowledge because that will help you explain it. And if they have any questions, it'll help you get through that. I would also prepare some answers to questions they might have. And those questions are going to be different depending on who you're talking to. They might want to know how it's going to affect your relationship. They might want to know, like my roommate asked me, what do i do what are you expecting from me they they probably will want to know what your expectations for them are and they'll probably want to know how severe it is because that it i do think that's relevant information i would also be confident this is not a problem with you you are not a bad person this is not a flaw or a failure or a strike against you it does not make you a red flag Would you feel morally inferior if you had to tell someone that you have a thyroid issue or that if you're anemic or something? No, you would not. So you should not feel guilty or ashamed. Approach that conversation with confidence. Know that having a mental health condition is a morally neutral experience and do not even give them the opportunity to judge you. I would also pay close attention to their reaction. It would be very normal for someone to be truly surprised. Maybe they had no idea. If you've already been with this person for a while, they might have an inkling. They might have, you know, seen a couple things, observed a few things, and maybe it won't be a shock. But if they are shocked, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing. But how do they react to you outside of that? They initially react with aversion, judgment, distaste. I, that's significant. Don't ignore that. I'm not saying that needs to be the end of the relationship, but I would file that information away. I would make a note of that. If they react to you with warmth and acceptance and a willingness to accommodate you in certain ways, or you know, they, they just want to know how they can help, that's a green flag. That's awesome. But it doesn't stop there. You should be cognizant of how your partner treats you after this conversation. Maybe you're not sure how to read their reaction at first, but then in the coming weeks, if you notice that they're treating you a little differently in a bad way, again, I just make a little note of that. I would also be aware of the way they discuss mental health in other capacities, because you might have someone who, because they really like you, they aren't going to say anything to your face, but maybe, maybe you hear them make a nasty comment about someone else like maybe you hear them make like a really bad quote-unquote joke about an athlete with a mental health condition do you guys remember when Simone Biles stopped performing and she didn't complete her routine because she said she was going through a mental health issue do you remember the absolute nastiness and vitriol that she experienced after that if you were with if that happened today and you were with someone who was joining in on the attacks and just the really poor treatment of her I, I could not be with a person like that. I really couldn't because whether they're treating me like that or not, who's to say they wouldn't turn that on me at some point? Who's to say they would not bring it up in, ar- in an argument or hold it against me? So again, just be a little bit aware of how they're talking about other people because if they are a red flag, if they are toxic and they're not going to be supportive, they might not say anything to you right away because they like you, but it might come out in other capacities. So that's all the advice that I can offer you about that and good luck good luck to everyone out there who's doing this it can be scary but you're going to be glad that you did afterwards because one way or another you're going to know how to move forward okay that was fun i really like recording these episodes i'm going to do my content faves now So I have been reading a book this past week called Been There, Done That, A Rousing History of Sex by Rachel Feltman. Full confession, I bought it because the cover looked really funny to me. And also, I like reading about sex. Sex is a fun topic. I don't know. I haven't finished it. It's not a fiction story. It's nonfiction. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it yet. The author's tone and writing style is very informal, at least in this book. It's very conversational which isn't a bad thing. It's an easy read because it's not very dense. She's not shoving a lot of information down your throat. It's mostly formatted like each chapter is a funny story about a time period in history where people viewed sex and sexuality a little different than we do now. It is very entertaining, but sometimes this is just a personal preference with an author's writing style. Sometimes I'm like, okay, Can we stop breaking the fourth wall? Like, I don't, I'm not loving all of these little humorous sidebars. I would like to just get on with it, but I am learning a lot. And it's, it's also, at least the part that I've read so far, it's pretty lighthearted. I would imagine we're going to get into some deeper shit later on in the book. But so far it's very entertaining. I'm having a good time reading it. So that's fine. Also sex book related. I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks lately on Audible, and the only books that I've been listening to have been literal romance novels, like those, you know what I'm talking about, the ones that you see near the checkout line of the grocery store that are like six bucks, little paperbacks. And they, listen, first of all, I don't believe that anyone should be ashamed of what they like, okay? Like, I'm not here to judge anyone for the books they like to read. I love popping on a little smutty historical romance novel when I'm doing housework because it makes the time fly so fast in it. I just get so sucked in and I get all giggly and I'm like, ooh, spicy. And I don't even realize how productive I'm being around the house while I do this. I am getting so much done and I'm honestly, this is, see, okay, I was going to say this is embarrassing, but I don't believe I should be embarrassed. I've been getting so much done because I also want to keep listening to the books. I'm like, ooh, maybe I'll leave the dishes till tomorrow, or maybe I'll do them tonight so I can listen to another chapter of the book. So that's another little favorite of mine. So I'll give you some author recommendations. Emma Prince, Donna Fletcher, Kiera Montclair, Cecilia Mecca, I'm like reading through my list, and Alison B. Hansen are some authors on Audible that I've listened to recently. That's kind of it. I don't have anything else to share. Everything else has been pretty same old, same old. I have a problem discovering new music. I don't know how. I don't know why. Everyone always seems to know the coolest new songs and the coolest new artists before I do. But to be fair, I also don't try. Like, you know how Spotify makes those for you playlists or curated for you. I don't listen to those. So maybe that's how people are always discovering new stuff. I literally like the same artist that I've liked for ever. I love Hozier, and I've loved Hozier since 2014. I'm actually seeing him in September. I'm so excited. Out of the newer artists that I like, my two favorites would be Noah, Kan, Kahan. I need to... Maybe I'll learn that at the concert. Maybe they'll introduce him and I'll finally figure out how to pronounce his last name. And then Zach Bryan. Those are two artists that I discovered last year. There is a running theme, can we tell? It seems that I really like a single male singer-songwriter with no backup band who's writing a lot of ballads. I also adore Bon Iver. That's another artist that I've been listening to since I was a teenager. Kind of fits into that category too, not going to lie. When it comes to podcasts, I do have a new favorite. It's the Data Over Dogma podcast. If you are familiar with Dan McClellan on TikTok, he is a scholar and an expert on historic languages or ancient languages and his tiktok is basically just breaking down pieces of dogma over religion and explaining historical context surrounding the bible um, interpreting passages correctly that have been misinterpreted debunking biblical conspiracy theories like that's his whole vibe and he has this podcast called data over dogma he's he's a very erudite scholar and i really enjoy listening to him if you also have religious trauma this guy helps me a lot and I'm loving it. So that's my only new fave podcast. I think that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your continued support of prologues. This has quickly become my favorite platform it's such a passion project for me. So thank you so much. I I feel like I say this every week, but I truly am so excited for the future of this podcast and I just appreciate you guys for being here. So thank you. I love you and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.